0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: And his enemies, who I guess you could call independent third parties because they certainly have no interest in affirming him, say this in John eleven forty seven and 48. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory
1: in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall,
0: the mountains will move, every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing
1: the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, is impossible.
0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of. Grace to Live, with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Well, today, today, I want to talk to you about a substance, and we are in California, and California is a state of highly regulated things. I want to talk to you about a substance that has been variously described as the invisible killer. It's also been described as the silent killer. Its chemical name is dihydrogen monoxide. Now, I discovered it when I found this nifty website. Uh, Apparently there was quite an outcry five or six years ago uh, that was calling for the banning of this. And despite a significant public outcry over a five or six year period, little has been done about this. In fact, in some cases, state and federal regulators have laughed at people over the phone who have demanded more regulation because they say There is a sufficient amount of regulation today. I found a hazmat, I think it's the next slide, I found a hazmat uh, uh, hazardous materials thing on it that says prolonged exposure to dihydrogen monoxide in its solid form causes damage to skin tissues. Accidental inhalation often leads to death, even in the smallest of quantities. In fact, the CDC reports 10 deaths a day in the United States. The World Health Organization reports 10,000 deaths a year due to inhalation. Let's look at some more information. It is a major component in acid rain. It is a key, it is a key ingredient. Some, some people are already on to me. It is a key ingredient in all industrial solvents. It's found in all pesticides. It's used in nuclear weapon technology. And it's often, it's often uh, stored carelessly in public buildings Ranging from preschools to churches. In, fa- in fact, I found uh, 30 gallons in our copy room this morning. Careless exposure to this liquid in its, or its gas or solid form can be deadly. It cannot be diluted. You can heat it. You can subject it to cold. It does not alter its basic properties. It is a very difficult substance or material to work with. And it is vital. It is vital it is vital to our text today. And that liquid or substance as we know it, its common household term is H2O or water. Okay? Inhalation is what we call drowning. Okay? So you know it as water. Now water is inert. And what does that mean and why is that important? In biology, the term inert speaks to a substance that is not alive. In chemistry, the term inert, is used to describe a substance that is not chemically reactive. You can't get it to do stuff. Somebody once sarcastically remarked that's sort of like teens on a bad day. Water is a compound. And what's a compound? A compound forms whenever two or more atoms form chemical bonds with one another. Now, the interesting thing is, one is made up of over a thousand different compounds. And as we're going to study today, as Jesus turns water into wine, he alters the chemical properties. He violates every law of chemistry and biology as it pertains to water, inert, inert, inert substances, and things like this. And how does he do this? And what does it mean that he does do this? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to read our passage today. And that is, and we'll begin in John chapter 1. Uh, Verse forty nine, and we'll go through chapter two, uh, verse eleven, and we'll see how this plays out. How he takes the silent killer, if you want to call it that, and make it a very loud witness to who he is, and as a means of decoding Jesus, because that's what we're talking about today: understanding who Jesus is and what he thought about himself and what he taught about himself. So let me just read our passage for us. Nathaniel answered him. Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Chapter two. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one of them holding 20 or 30 gallons. But you have kept the good until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So what do we have going on here? Jesus, and this is after he's called his disciples. This is after he's interacted with them, explained to them who he was, and they've explained to one another, and they've borne witness to him and drawn other people into following him. And this is sort of a, a down payment on what he says to Nathaniel when he says greater things than these will you see. So he goes to a wedding and in those days if you ran out of wine at a wedding it would be like running out of food. It was a big deal and so his mother says to him they don't have any wine and he says to her it's none of my business or yours. Uh, And then uh, he says the time isn't right. So whenever the time came he calls these servants up they turn the water into wine or they bring him the water he turns it into wine somehow. He sends it to the head of the feast, the head waiter, the steward, whatever you want to call it, and the guy goes, you've kept the good stuff until now. It, it, it was in those days that you served the good stuff first, and then when people's taste buds were kind of numbed, you know, you, instead of the uh, Lafite 1955, you gave them the Mogan David 2020, if you know what I mean. And so in here, what was served in the mind of the wine steward was the very best of the very best. And this is a critical passage for us because what it does is it shows us not only who Jesus is, but it confirms for us who Jesus thought he was. And what I'd like us to do today is to make four observations regarding Jesus' actions and activities here so that you and I can decode Jesus for ourselves and for others so that we can be certain of what we've believed as we look into the passage and understand just what's going on there and explain it to others because you and i have a responsibility to explain the gospel to other people you and i have an obligation and a responsibility a joy to share christ with others and even what we've learned in the first chapter of john's gospel gives us enough ammunition to start an incredible conversation. And what we're going to see here in chapter two, in the first 11 verses, goes even beyond that. So observation number one is this. Jesus performed an act of creation. Jesus performed an act of creation. And I want you to watch this play out. And why do I say this? I mean, The reason I sort of pulled your leg about dihydrogen monoxide is because it only has so many atoms in it, basically three. Two atoms of hydrogen, One atom of oxygen. And what he does is he makes it into something greater than it was. He makes something out of nothing. We call that ex nihilo creation. And that's what takes place here in this passage. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now, you wouldn't expect Jesus to make something of low quality, but, but even if, if it had been regular wine, the fact of the matter is, water became wine. What happened here? Jesus intervened. He created an extra thousand compounds here in in making water into wine. He exercised his will over the substance. He did not use magic potions. He did not use incantations. He did not wave his hands over the water. He simply thought it and it happened. And H2O became C2H6O at minimum. Because I just gave you the chemical makeup of alcohol. But he added other compounds like the grape. To it. And what I want you to see here is his intentionality here, because his intentions reveal something about what he thinks about himself and what he wants others to think about him. See, this was no accident. And in God's providence and sovereignty, Jesus and his disciples were where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, so that the glory of God could be displayed for all to see and that people could understand who he is. And so he has something in mind. He gives directions. He sends them with the water. They draw some out. It's now wine. They take it to the wine steward who has no clue of what's going on. And he goes, oh, wine. Not, I mean, think about it if it wasn't wine. He would say, what's the deal here? And you have to think about the, the, the servants, by the way. They're filling up these water pots. And when they first, they reach in to draw it out. It's only wine when it comes out. What must they have thought? And what we have here is this. Affirmation of what we read in the prologue, or what we read in the executive summary, or what we read in the cliff notes in John chapter 1, 1 through 18. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. What we have here is an affirmation or an indication of a Genesis 1 3 event. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And Jesus willed, Let there be wine, and there was wine. Jesus willed it, and it was so. This is a creation miracle, nothing less. Something out of nothing. Was there trickery? Could there have been trickery? Could there have been manipulation? Good question. There's an interesting book I read some years ago called Cold Case Christianity by L.A. homicide detective investigator J. Warner Wallace. And in that book, he talks about rules of evidence. And there's something called a chain of custody. You know, When they're going to prosecute a guy for murder or any other serious or heinous crime, that evidence has to be... Handled in such a way that it does not become tainted, compromised, or contaminated, or manipulated. And so they call that a chain of custody. It cannot change hands again and again and again. No one can lose control of the evidence. And what we see here is just that, which brings us to our second observation. And that is Jesus maintained an unbroken chain of custody. Watch it play out in verses 6 through 10. How many people handle this? How many times does Jesus handle the wine? How many times does the wine change hand and root to the master of the feast? Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. The master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. No one else but the servants handled that water. Nobody. they didn't peel off and go into a room somewhere, and people do stuff to it. They filled up these jugs. Jesus says, Now draw some out and take it to him. And it says they took it, they poured the water. They pulled some out, it had become wine. No side trips, no loss of custody, no evidence tampering, an unbroken chain of custody. And you know what else It's really neat in this passage? And you see this a lot of times with Jesus' miracles, in fact, almost every time. There's always an independent, impartial confirmation of the miracle. Now, today, when there's a crime and there's evidence and things like that, you send stuff off to the crime lab to make sure... What you've been told this stuff is, this stuff is. Now, I'm sure that it was not a custom to have crime labs at weddings in the first century. But what we have here, and this brings us really to our third observation, is, uh, is this. The results were impartially confirmed. We have independent confirmation of the results. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. I want you to think about this. Now, this isn't the crime lab. It's not the crime lab, but what it is, is an independent, impartial, third-party confirmation. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. Because here's this, fe- this a master of the feast. I mean, he's just a hired hand. These indications are he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He doesn't know what's going on necessarily. There's no surprise or the only surprise in his voice is the fact that we save the good stuff for less. And he's just like, okay, this is one, you know. Now, you may remember back at Easter, we talked about rules of history, right? Remember that sermon? We talked about uh, documentation. We talked about source document, eyewitness accounts, things like that. We talked about Thucydides, a, a name that's on the tip of everyone's tongue these days. He is the father of modern history, and one of the things everybody liked about Thucydides is, as opposed to uh, Herodotus or other, also equally competent fathers of history, is Thucydides was an atheist, whereas Herodotus was not. And Thucydides had some rules. He said basically, no one can write about history. No one can write about history unless they're contemporary to the event. And they should be an eyewitness to the event. That fits perfectly for the books that he was writing and trying to sell, so to speak, because he was writing about the wars that he fought in as a general. But essentially, that's what he wrote. And that's essentially what we have here. Poured out, or it's, no one even knows where it would be. So there's no t- testing the wine. But what we have here, basically, is an independent third party confirming the water turned to wine, what we have here is an individual who has no dog in the fight, no stake in the claim, and he's completely unaware, clueless, in fact, of what's been going on, and he affirms it. Furthermore, documenting his findings, instead of a court reporter or, or a forensic uh, reporter, is an eyewitness who, uh, whose writings we have thousands of copies of and who is contemporary to the events. And that's an amazing thing. And this man, this independent third party drinks it and says, you saved the good stuff until now. You saved the good stuff until last. Who does that? So we even see from his surprise, no one tried to sneak in a glass of water to him and claiming it was wine. He said, this is not only wine, this is the good stuff. Now with Jesus, unlike let's say some of the guys and gals on television, all of his miracles are affirmed and confirmed by independent, impartial, third-party witnesses. And let me just give you another example of that. In the account of the resurrection of Lazarus, remember that? Lazarus, word comes to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. He waits two days before he begins his journey. He gets there, he finds out Lazarus has been dead for four days, which poses a number of problems because they did not embalm in those days in that hot Palestinian sun and that body in a tomb. He raises Lazarus from the dead, which is kind of hard to fake. And his enemies, who I guess you could call independent third parties because they certainly have no interest in affirming him, say this in John eleven forty seven and 48. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, let's think with me on this. and I don't want to get too far off of this other miracle. But basically, Lazarus died not in Jesus' presence. Jesus never handled Lazarus. Jesus had to be shown the tomb. He didn't even know where he was buried. He waited two days before he began his journey. Lazarus was already dead four days when he got there. And his worst enemies affirm that he raised him from the dead. This is the difference between the, the miracles that Jesus did, the signs that Jesus did, the indications that Jesus did and what we what today often passes for miracles. What we see with these types of signs is this. They're never attributable to natural phenomena. Eyewitness independent verification, those who believe and those who are on the team and those who are off the team. They're never done in secret or in a corner and they stick. When Jesus does a miracle, it sticks. When people do them on TV, they're always healing somebody's sore shoulder or one leg is shorter than the other and they lengthen it or stuff like that. Or they're healing things you can't see and sometimes they don't seem to take. And they're very obvious. They're very obvious. They're not subtle. Turning water into wine isn't subtle. Raising Lazarus from the dead would be hard to call subtle, wouldn't it? And and when when John talks about Jesus' miracles, he uses a special word. There's the typical word in the Bible called dunamis, which is the word from which we get dynamite or power, displays of power. And there's simeon, which is what he uses, which speaks to signs that indicate the identity and office of who Jesus is. And this was the first of the signs that he did. It was a creation miracle. It was done with an unbroken chain of custody. And it was confirmed by an independent third party. It's irrefutable. It was impartially confirmed. This man had no reason. You know, he wasn't vote Jesus. He didn't really know who he was. And it also did another thing, which really comes to our fourth observation. Observation number four. His disciples believed. His disciples believed. Look at verse 11. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What he did is he displayed his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You Remember that in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about, This is the King of Israel, the Son of God, God the Son, and He has manifested His glory to His disciples to reaffirm the fact that they can trust in Him, that He's who He says He is. I would imagine He rocked the world of more than a few waiters that day too. But it was done, not at random, but intentionally, and it was done to strengthen their faith. It was done to strengthen their faith.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the
1: Grace to Live radio broadcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID-19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry But it is a listener-supported ministry and in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a, a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church and you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. If you have questions
0: about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.